Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 51 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the history of things you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like eggs or beans or crumpets. Mm. It's P.G. Woodhouse, you know. Is it? It's P.G. Woodhouse. Or pegs, legs and begs, cold mould and folds. <laughs> you see what I've done there? It's all, it's the history of folds. Everything comes back to paper and, uh, and my work on letters. The history of cold, I want to do. The history of cold. 51, I can't believe we're 51. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history and, crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of the lean is about medieval buildings, rebellious Hollywood and women walking with books on their heads? Wow. Did you know that? No. Or the history of clouds is about nuclear war, gas attacks in World War One, and the Dust Bowl in 1930s mm. America and Canada. It's all about people using clouds to find out where they are as well, navigation. It's all about monkey. Have you ever seen monkey? No. As a, as a kid that flew around in a, a deity, flew around in a cloud. Did he? Yes. Mm. Interesting. We should do that. Uh, the man sitting opposite me is the patisserie chef of the past. It's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's Professor James Daywell. Hello, hello, James. Hello, hello, Sam. And the man sitting opposite me is the ringmaster of reigns. <laughs> of reigns. <laughs> R-E-I-G-N. No, no, no. Of, of reigns as in regnal. I see. Yes. Reigns as in, you know, reigns of monarchs Thank you. stuff. I was quite pleased with that one. It is the wonderful, the truly wonderful Dr. Sam Willis. Hello, Sam. Hello. Uh, together we pilot you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week one of us takes the lead and this week it's my turn. It seems to have been my turn it's a lot. It's your turn. But I've been yes. wandering the world recently. Yes. And uh, I recently wandered wandered the world and uh, wandered to Greenwich. Oh, what happened in Greenwich? Well, I go to Greenwich quite a lot because of the Maritime Museum there. Yes, and um, they have a new exhibition called Death in the Ice. Do they now? Tell us about Death in the Ice. Where's this leading? What topic are we doing? Well, I'm just surprised for you. It's a challenge. Oh. Is um, it about ice? No, it's about gloves. Oh, it's Sammy. your favourite topic. Here we are. So, I know nothing about We gloves. have done a podcast on gloves. Do you know what number it was, actually? I um, can't remember. Early on. Early on, I think. 
Yeah, maybe number four. Number four? Very long time ago when we were just little babies in the podcasting world. So this is an update to the history of gloves because one of the things we're doing uh, is making sure we update all of the interesting stuff that we've done before to help you understand how our understanding of history is progressing. We have to be honest, though. We are also revisiting a lot of these ourselves because we are writing a book. True. What book are we writing, James? We are writing uh, Histories of the Unexpected, (laughs) which you can all buy in late 2018, just in time for Christmas. And I can't think of any better present for anyone in your family, anyone that you know. Anyone in the world. I'm going to buy at least three of them, Mm. 300 of them. Are you going to give me one? Yes, I'll sign it. (laughs) Thank you. So there I was in the Death in the Ice exhibition, which is an exhibition about... Artifacts and relics, I hate that word, relics, which have been discovered relating to the Franklin expedition. Ah. Franklin, John Franklin. So this isn't Benjamin Franklin. Not Benjamin. No. Sir John. Sir John. The English explorer who goes up to the North Pole. He is not, I repeat, not trying to find the Northwest Passage. Right. Everyone thinks he was trying to find the Northwest Passage. Disappointingly, they even said in the exhibition that he was trying to find the Northwest Passage. He was not. He was there to measure the differences in the magnetism of the Earth. Right. And it was very important to Victorians. This is in 1845, and they realised... It was all to do with navigation, it was all to do with control and empire. And so we'd started measuring the magnetism of the Earth at the end of the 17th century, but we weren't able to go to the most distant places we needed to, and we weren't able to measure at the poles where magnetism changes the most. It's very difficult to actually measure magnetism at the poles because it all it changes very rapidly. Anyway, he was there... And that's why he was where he was when he vanished. So he goes to this place and everyone's like, if you read all of these histories about Franklin, with the exception of Andrew Lambert's brilliant book, Mm. everyone wonders what Franklin was doing, why he had abandoned his ships. Well, he'd abandoned his ships because he'd gone to Magnetic North. That's what they were doing there. So anyway, he's sitting there at Magnetic North, ships disappear, Franklin disappears, everyone dies. It turns into a horrible mystery. And uh, we've recently discovered his ships, refound his ships. Wow, with all the stuff intact on them. Yeah. And some of those artefacts are on display at Greenwich, and it wow. is pretty impressive. Wow. What, what sort of things? They've got a variety of things. They do have a, a wonderful variety of um, bits and pieces relating to the ships and relating to life board. And they've also got artefacts which have been discovered on land. So they got in trouble, they tried to march to safety, and so that the trail of Franklin across the Arctic can be traced. Right. And some objects ended up in the hands of the Inuit, um, so this is a really, really interesting story of the Inuit knowing actually very clearly and very well what had happened to Franklin. And it took us, even now, yeah. no, no one had actually thought of talking to the Inuit and saying, do you know what happened to this Victorian expedition? And of course, they're like, yeah, it's just over there. HMS Terror was found in Terror Bay, which it seems wow. like a pretty obvious place to hunt for it. So it's part of their tradition. Anyway, it's part of their tradition. Yeah. And one of the great things they do in the exhibition is to tell the story through the eyes of the Inuit as well as through totally the brilliant. eyes of the Victorians themselves and then all of the many different further expeditions that went out to find Franklin. Right, right. right. OK, got okay. that? Yeah. One of the things in the exhibition, I'm getting my exhibitions and expeditions yeah. muddled up, are these... Gloves. A pair of gloves. Now, it says here, these gloves may have been forgotten after a member of the Franklin expedition laid them out to dry on Beachy Island. This is one of their camps. We do not know who they belong to. So, James, you are a famous historian for being able to (laughs) read gloves. Yes, I'm looking at it. Believe it or not. I'm looking at it on a picture, on on a photo, photo on a screen here. They look like they are, they're fabric gloves. Yeah. So are they cotton or wool gloves? 
and one of the joys of those is if you're out in a if you're out on an expedition and they get wet, you can wring wool out and it will dry relatively, you know. Do you think they're machine-made or handmade? Um, I don't think you can tell from here, can you? Oh, no, they look um, machine-made. I mean, I, I wouldn't go out on a limb, but that looks really close um, knitting, doesn't it? Yeah. That looks really, really close. I mean, what's what's interesting about them is that they are worn. I mean, whether that's happened over, over time, they've got holes in them. Um, they're slightly stained. Um, we I don't get a sense of how big they are here. They might be inner gloves. They're sort of lining gloves. Would you say, though, that they are unidextrous or are those two left-handed gloves? It's an interesting question. It is, isn't it? Two no, pairs they, they, they or one do... pair. It's definitely one pair, is it? So the one on the right is it looks definitely like it's like a left-handed fold. glove. Yeah, this one is the left-handed glove and that looks like the right-handed glove. It's just that there's an odd fold on the thumb here that okay. makes it look like it's going this way. No, I think that means that it's that way. So it is, it's one pair of gloves. I mean, the thing is, you could do analysis on this. Um, there'd probably be some sort of human skin or sort of, you know, some kind of, yeah. you know, hair or something that you could test in some way. What's really great about it is have a look here. Can you see this? Uh, I can't. I've got it. Oh, gosh. That's a repair, isn't it? Is that a repair? No, it's a heart. A heart? Where's that? Let me... Can you see that? Um, so it's been embroidered it... with a heart in the palm. Which glove is, is that? that? A heart? There, that one. Here. Yeah. That's it. Gosh, that's almost like finding the face of Jesus in a... It is. In, a, in cheese or something. <laughs> and they each have a small heart motif in the centre of the palm. Right. Gosh. So they're decorative gloves. Well, was it a gift? Possibly. I think that's a that's a sweetheart's gift. <laughs> I think that's a that's a love. Oh, James, that is a love. It is a love glove. It's a love glove yeah. to somebody going on an expedition. Yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Goodness me. I mean, what's interesting is the way in which gloves survive in chance ways like that. I mean, if you have a look at historically how gloves have survived, and I'm sure we talked about this in the past, they either survive because they are kept in museums, like the wonderful collections in the Victorian Albert Museum, or the wonderful collections of the Worshipful Company of Glovers. Yeah. What these are are examples of decorative gloves that are kept because of a, they're important for a history of design or aesthetic... Or what you have is archaeological gloves, and that's an example of an archaeological glove. Absolutely. So it's something that has survived in that kind of way. What you get is a completely different kind of glove. Who on earth would want to keep that glove in a fancy design museum? You know, one of the sailors, if they had survived, they might have come back and then kept it and and then donated it to a museum to be preserved. Yes. So that's got three identities, that glove. That is, we assume, an inner wool protective glove yep. which will go inside maybe a seal skin mitt yes or some kind of yes. fur mitt yes. Yes. for arctic exploration but it's also those gloves are also a gift 
Yeah. Um, I would suggest because of the heart. Yeah. Maybe I'm assuming it was a woman. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe it was a man. But I'm assuming the lover who gave those gloves will put them on before yep. giving them. So there's a kind Where of a, these a direct do. link. Where It'll these be cold. Do. Yeah. You know, kind of a direct link between the skin yep. of one and the skin yep. of another thousands yep. of miles away. So, so they're protective gloves. Yep. Nice. They are a gifted glove. They're a present. They're a link back to England, we're going to assume. Yeah. And a link back to a domestic life, I suspect, which is about as far removed as possible from yeah, yeah. from the wilderness of the Arctic Circle. So they're an archaeological love, but they were probably discovered by the Inuit. So they would have meant something different to those Eskimos who discovered it, yeah. different from the, the Westerners who would have discovered it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would have been able to read different things into that glove. So those gloves can say a great deal to an awful lot of people. And now they're museum gloves that are associated with this expedition. Yeah. So they have that kind of meaning and there there are stories being told about them. Yeah. It's quite common for gloves to have that kind of that kind of journey. There's a very famous um pair of gloves associated with James the sixth and first of Scotland and England. Yep. And we don't know the sort of early story of them. So we don't know about whether he actually wore them. We don't know who he gave them to, but they crop up in the collection of Ralph Thorsby, the collector who has a sort of little museum in, in Leeds where they what are... What time? Where we're talking about turn of the century, so late late 17th, early okay, 18th, so a contemporary late, early 18th century. A contemporary collector, an antiquarian and topographer, Ralph Thorsby. Um, they then pass to Horace Walpole, so the politician who f- lives in Strawberry Hill in, in, yeah, in Twickenham I've in, been in there. London. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, if, if stories uh, are believed... Um, wore them at dinner parties, you know, to sort of say, I'm wearing the king's... I'm How did he the get king's, the king's I'm gloves? I'm wearing the king's gloves. Because basically when Thorsby dies, they, they're up for sale. How did and, Thorsby get And them? we don't know. But there must have been a market he's, he's for basically, he's basically, gloves. I mean, we talked in an earlier podcast in this recording session today about collectors. And yes, absolutely, there is a, there's a market for books and manuscripts and objects. Hmm. Um, so sort of curiosities yeah, and, clothing, so people would, and clothing so people would have had that then they descend to the worshipful company of glovers eventually through another collector so the idea that you know that somebody has a collection for a particular period during their lifetime and it has a particular meaning for them within a particular collection and then goes on to other collectors afterwards mm. but what you have is a sort of peculiar sort of series of journeys that this glove takes the interesting thing here is that in the case of the James the sixth and first glove, is that we don't actually know whether it's his glove. What we know, though, is that it travels with a provenance. So it travels with a particular identification. Mm. There are gloves at Lambeth Palace Library, the Archbishop of Canterbury's um, place in London, that are Charles I's gloves, that are supposed to be the gloves that he had on the scaffold. It was a very cold day and he was wrapped up, and they're supposed to have his blood on them right um i mean i'm sure you could now do dna analysis on it and identify them properly but those kind of gloves do have this sort of bizarre you know range of meanings across their lifetime that is completely dissociated from a glove being worn as a for a practical purpose yeah yeah and that's very clear in these in these franklin gloves isn't it yeah and i think one of the ways that you'd go about 
trying to understand these gloves yeah. is to put them initially in the historical context that they came from in the 1840s. Yeah. So you'd look at the manufacture of them, how they were made, where they were made, who made them, who got them. Were they old when they were taken away? Were they new when they were taken away? I mean, they could be from a generation before we come back to this kind of layers of history. That, 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 those could be gloves given from this guy's mum to his dad. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And he, they he's have then, that. Yeah, yeah, he's then taking them away. They, they look old enough. But then I think it would be really interesting to look at the history of those gloves within the context of other explorers' gloves. Yes. Um, I don't know if they survive. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I should think that a great deal of information about gloves being made for the Shackleton expedition, yep. Franklin expedition, yep. and so long and so forth. You know, maybe even going back to, you know, the, the Tudor. And practical gloves as Martin well. Martin Frobisher. So he, he yep. went to the yep. Arctic during Elizabeth I's reign. Yeah. I mean, I too have been travelling uh, and this summer I went to Sweden and Stockholm, and uh, we've talked about in previous podcasts about the Vasa Museum. Yes. Are you going to talk about it again? I am, I am, and I'm going to link it to a box. If none of you listeners have actually managed to go to the Vasa Museum since listening to our podcast, then you should. It is my current favourite <laughs> museum in the entire world. It is extraordinary. Um, what I found was a box. Look at this. Uh, a chest that is a, a seaman's chest and mm. cast. And basically, the ship, as we all know, sank in 1628. Um, as soon as it sort of left Stockholm... Massive harbor, Swedish warship sinks, yeah. Yep. Sank, beautifully preserved. The waters are really sort of brackish, so everything is... It's know, like the Mary Rose, but on speed. Yes, it is brilliant. <laughs> it's perfect. It, it is, is literally brilliant. perfectly, you know... Somebody preserved. described us as Melvin Bragg on speed. Really? Uh, yes. Mm, interesting. Yes, I thought it was very good. Anyway, when it was brought up in the in the 1950s and 1960s, it was full of all sorts of stuff, um, including skeletons of people who'd been on the ship. And there was a there was a perfectly preserved sailor's chest with the contents. And what was interesting about this is that at the top of it was a was a hat. And then neatly folded underneath it were a whole series of things. And I'll list them here. Uh, a pair of leather mittens, a pair of shoes and a pair of mules. So in other words, they're sort of backless shoes. Leather for shoe repairs. A shoe last made of birch. A keg, a wooden spoon. We need to do shoes. Uh, a keg. Well, they, they, they've got wooden, shoes at the, at the um, Franklin exhibition. We should do that. Andy Gordon, we're going to do shoes uh, a tool handle. Who's Rob, Andy Gordon? Rob, Andy Gordon is one of my very, very best friends. He is a brilliant uh, literary critic and historian at the University of Aberdeen, and he is writing a brilliant book on the history of shoes and walking at the moment. So you should all check out his work. He's also written on on London and the Earl of Essex and all, all sorts of things. Uh, and letters. We've rewritten two books on letters together. Um, 66 copper coins, so we're back to our, our trunk here, uh, worth of 66, um, 65 aura and a lump of wax. So you've basically got within this, beneath these beneath these this this hat, all the items that a sailor might have wanted uh, on this journey. And again, it survives as an archaeological find here. Mm. Um, and they are leather mittens. And you can see them here. So these might be the kinds of mittens that you'd sort of have an inner, you'd have an inner glove inside yeah. them. Those are, they're kind of decorated around the cuff, aren't they? They're not the sort of ornate, 
um, gloves, designed gloves that you might get surviving in a museum. No, they're not the kind of jewels. No, or, they're or, not the bejeweled. But, you know, he's or, made a bit of an effort, hasn't he? So yeah, it's, yeah. Got, it's got a little kind of... Stitching on them. A bit of flapping. Yes. I don't know what that's called. But they looked, reminded me, I've just managed to find it. Um, these are definitely gloves discovered on the Mary Rose. Gosh. And one option is... Are they they're, gloves they're, or mittens? Well, they're, they're possibly mittens, but yeah. there's some suggesting they're falconry. Mm. gloves which is interesting uh, possibly together anyway there are other ones which are like this as well these are 1375 these gloves yep. Swedish again there's a whole kind of wonderful history of of preserved leather mittens I think you know, leather preserves particularly well and, and obviously these mittens were worn a lot do you know anything about falconry gloves? I bet not, they were... not a lot, but if you're interested in archaeological gloves, Anne Marieka Williamson, you should look uh, look for her. Anne Marieka Williamson wrote a brilliant article recently on the archaeology of gloves, from 1300 to 1700, and, oh, okay. and has basically been out and catalogued everything, everything that you want to know about the history of gloves or archaeological gloves. Uh, is there falconry gloves? Yeah, I mean leather protective gloves that you would have worn to sort of when the bird sort of flew to your yeah. to your hand. You have something that would carry, and I'm I'm using. You can't see me gesticulating here, um, but it would be up the arm, up to the elbow. He's yeah. pointing at his elbow. Yeah. For, so I'm pointing at my elbow. Yeah. So a sort of gauntlet. Yeah. Type type of glove. So a falcon's clumsy. I'd assume a falcon could land on your no, finger. They have incredibly sharp talons, so you don't want like a finger perch, just in case they don't manage to. Okay. If you've ever been to bird displays um, for children's parties, I have. I've been to a couple recently, and I wouldn't get anywhere near those talons. <laughs> so there's a history of protective gloves there. So yes. so these Arctic expedition gloves. Yeah fit into a broader history of protective gloves, which includes falconry gloves, or includes all sorts of things. And also fingerless gloves, Ooh. which is the opposite of a mitten. Yes. I wonder what the history of fingerless gloves is. I can't think of the in the historical record of gloves that I've... Uh, Fagin definitely whether. would have worn yeah. some in his uh, I mean, pickpocketing the, the idea ways. there is that basically you would be much more capable of handling money Picking pockets. Ooh. So the idea is that basically you want to stay warm, but if you wear gloves, you know, you've got to be careful. Can we do the history of pockets? Um, That'd be amazing. Oh, I want to do pockets. Yeah. We, so many people have said to us, we should do the history of pockets. pockets, oh, pockets. I thought I was being original. No, no, no. no, no well, <laughs> I, I, say, I, say, I say lots of people. Uh, one person keeps telling me that, I should do po that we should do the history of pockets. Okay. Pockets are different from boxes, but connected to boxes yeah. because it's about what you put in them. And they're also connected to holes. Yeah. There's holes they in are. your pockets and it's mending. Mm. Falling out of pockets, I'm very yes. interested in that. Chance discoveries, chance archaeological discoveries. Yes. Some of the most important archaeological discoveries have fallen out of pockets. Such as? Uh, the Alfred Jewel. I'm what, guessing it fell out of pockets. What evidence do you have of the Alfred Jewel falling out of a pocket? So it's very, very important... Anglo-Saxon piece yes, of artwork. Ashmolean in, yeah, in Oxford. Wouldn't have been thrown away. That's yes. my evidence. <laughs> Roman coins everywhere, falling out of pockets. Yes. But there are some places, actually... Or people where, buried them People to, buried, to buried them, them, and they also cast them away. There's, um, there's one place, I forget where it is now, but it was excavated. There were kind of Roman coins cast everywhere, and they were at the end of the Roman Empire, and they were so valueless they think people just throw them away i don't need those okay well um that's our little update to gloves so um go to the uh death in the ice exhibition at the national maritime museum to go and see these gloves which have been discovered in the remains of a camp of some sailors from the franklin expedition in 1845 and go to the vassa go to the vassa as well
That's a museum in Stockholm. In Stockholm. Uh, Stockholm is now my favourite city mm. in the world. You should all go. If you've enjoyed yourself, please go and find our initial podcast on the history of gloves. It was a particularly interesting one. This is the update for that. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Dr Sam Willis. And I am at James Daybell. And we are at Unexpected Pod. We are proud to be part of Dan Snow's History Hit Network, home of History Hit and other brilliant podcast shows. And if you like what you listen to, make sure you log on to historyhit.com forward slash unexpected for show notes and things we've done and things that are coming soon. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook and Twitter at thehistorymc. Hi, my name is Darius Aria. I'm a Roman archaeologist. I live in Rome, Italy. Every day I experience history. I excavate, I teach, I discover, I live stream. I was actually awarded Periscoper of the Year this year at the Shorty Awards, and I want to share all of that history with you. And now I have a brand new podcast. It's called Darius Aria Digs. It's available to download and listen to for free on iTunes. And you can also find the podcast, Darius Aria Digs, at historyhit.com slash Darius Aria Digs. I look forward to exploring history underneath the pavements of Rome, throughout Italy, and throughout the Mediterranean with you. Darius Aria Diggs is part of the History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit, Histories of the Unexpected, and Dr. Yanina Ramirez's Art Detective and more great shows. Listen and subscribe to Darius Aria Diggs and come and dig history with me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.